Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, your life improvement series starts now. Hello, hello, everybody. Today's going to be a great day. Why? (laughs) Thank you, Kelsey. Because when you know better, you get better. And that's what we're going to do here together because we are better together. Welcome to the show for any new listeners excited for today. We have a really great interview with the author of The Power of Potential, Thomas Derry. He and his dad built this incredible business that employs people with autism. And uh, of course, they had a situation in their family where their uh, brother was autistic and they wanted to help him uh, after uh, school. And so they built this car wash called rising tide car wash, a social enterprise that employs more than 80 individuals with autism and it is succeeding wildly. And they now have a model to share with people so that other others can understand how they did it and do it as well. I I mean, he had a crazy statistic, I think about 80% of people with autism are unemployed, but Thanks to them, they are changing that. Before we get to the interview, our quote of the day, we can all improve our lives by embracing the power of potential comes from our guest, Thomas Derry. Like I said, he's an expert in autism employment through his experience as the founder of Rising Tide Car Wash. Uh, Tom speaks regularly at Fortune 500 companies. He is a recognized thought leader in the autism employment field and a 2019 Forbes 30 under 30 list maker in social entrepreneurship. Uh, he is really, really well-spoken on um, this subject, but also lots of really great business tips in here for people who are hiring, for people who are entrepreneurs. It is uh, a very full episode. I really, really loved this conversation. So Heal Squad, please welcome Thomas Derry. So Tom, uh, this is such a beautiful story. I'm really excited to share it with the Heal Squad. Um, and I'd love to to start with um, 
kind of, you know, the inspiration for writing the book, The Power of Potential, since we're starting to talk about the cover, how a non-traditional workforce can lead you to run your business better. Um, I would love to know the inspiration for this, and that will get us kind of going on everything I know. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So uh, the inspiration for the book is from the business that my family operates, uh, which is called Rising Tide Car Wash. And uh, we started that business because my brother Andrew has autism and he was graduating high school and we were like, what is Andrew going to do with his, with his life after high school? That's a scary time for a lot of families that are affected by autism. And, and we were certainly one of them. And it became really clear really quickly that we were going to have to act in order for Andrew to lead the full adult life that he was totally capable of. So, you know, my dad had been a successful entrepreneur for a long time before we did this. And I was just finishing my undergraduate business degree. And we started to say, okay, well, we want to build a business that can employ Andrew, can do, can employ others like him and can do it in a, in a really viable way that can change the way we look at autism from a disability that requires sympathy to a really valuable diversity, because that's what we believe it is. And so, you know, there's, it's a, it was a winding road, really tough, a lot of, a lot of the way, but what we found after a couple of years of operating and the business started to take off was that the way that we empower people with autism is the same way you would empower any group of people. Their needs are just more apparent, but they aren't any different. So by working with them, we were able to really identify some issues that we think hold a lot of businesses back and also help really small, medium-sized businesses understand that there's a group of people that can help them solve some of their labor problems, as well as differentiate themselves in a crowded marketplace. So I love when businesses are born from need. That's usually Mm -hmm. when they succeed. (laughs) Um, And I love that you and your family pulled together to help you know, your brother figure out his future, right? Because it's not easy. There aren't a lot of options. Mm. Um, And so, but you guys had such a mission that it expanded to more than just how do we help our little brother to how do we help many people who are dealing with autism, but then even bigger than that, the, you know, the rock in the pond, the the thing gets bigger. Now it's also, how do we get other businesses to see how amazing it is and how incredible it can be when um, when you follow this model. So share with us, I know that the business when your, your dad bought it was failing and flailing. Mm-hmm. So it's this car wash in Florida. It was flailing. He bought it. Tell us kind of what happened from there. You guys were washing like 35,000 cars a year or two now yeah. doing something crazy. Yeah. So, so my dad, John, he bought the business. He bought this struggling car wash in Parkland, Florida, that uh, was washing, like you said, thirty-five thousand cars a year. To where, after we really started to get some momentum and and really learned how to effectively really run car washes and how to employ people with autism by doing that, we've been able to take the business. That location now is washing over one hundred and seventy thousand cars a year, and it's it's turned into two other car washes that together we're washing somewhere around a half million vehicles serving about half a million vehicles a year. And, and that's really because of our neurodivergent team, not, not certainly not in spite of it. 
did you ever think your life was going to go this way? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> like you're an autism expert. You're speaking at, I think, in front of Congress. I saw you on some video this morning in front of the UN. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, not at all. If you had told me when I was like 18 years old, are you going to be running car washes and employing people with autism? I'd have said you're freaking nuts. <laughs> um, but you know, I I always wanted to. Uh, build a business that would have impact. You know, my dad, my dad being an entrepreneur and really my greatest role model, um, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I wanted to do it in a way where it would, it would have impact. And uh, I graduated college really with no concept of employing people with autism, but wanting to do like environmental sustainability work. And, and um, what I found talking to people that were doing that especially like with corporations, they weren't as fulfilled as, as you would think that they would be. Um, it was hard to change organizations, uh, especially big ones, especially if you're a consultant and not inside the company. But when I, I got to talk to other social entrepreneurs, you could see that some of them were like struggling, but damn, were they on fire with their mission. They really wanted, they really believed in what they were doing. And that was, that was what I wanted to do. And um, Andrew was at that point, he was just, graduating high school and my dad was really searching for things to to for Andrew to do and, and trying to wrap his arms around this this problem that our family faced as far as helping him find employment and he was like Tom let's do this together worst case scenario it fails you've got a killer story to tell you know you can go to business school uh best case scenario we've got an awesome business and, and hopefully really helped a bunch of people and luckily it's it's been the latter it's been it's been a really great ride and something that I think a lot of organizations can really uh, benefit from, a lot of people can benefit from. So talk to me about employing uh, people with autism and what that looked like initially, what you found, what you discovered. Yeah. Yeah. So when we first started, you know, there, there and were- And is that the proper way to say it? Because I want to make sure I'm-, I'm... Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So it's- um, I don't know that there's really a, a, at this point, a generally accepted term. You can either say person with autism or autistic person, okay. uh, different, different individuals identify differently. I, I typically say people with autism simply because we polled our staff. Actually, when we were writing this book, we polled our staff, how do you want to be referred to in the book? And over 90% of them preferred person with autism. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I think it, it really, it really depends. So you can go either way. Um, but when we were starting this, there really weren't a lot of other examples of businesses that had been founded to employ people with autism, specifically 80% people with autism in like a, a consumer facing retail environment like us. So we really didn't know. A lot of people thought we were nuts. They said, you know, there's no way people with autism could succeed in that, in, in that type of um, environment. It's a team oriented environment. And, and the general consensus was that people with autism work better in, in individual work. And so there was a lot of this like real un uncertainty whether it would work. So, I mean, we went out, we tested it. We, uh, we found a really wonderful partner in Sunny's Enterprises, which is the largest manufacturer of car wash equipment in the world. And their, their um, president and, and one of the founders had, um, he had one car wash in Homestead, Florida that he said we could work at for the summer of 2012 and, and test the concept. So we're out there in, in the, Florida heat and in homestead, washing cars and trying to train people with autism on how to do it. And what we learned through that was that a lot of that conventional wisdom was really misguided. It was 
it's not that people with autism don't want to work in teams or want to have, you know, um, you know, work with customers. It's that the way that they, they interact, right. They interact differently than neurotypical people. So being in a culture that is really built around them, they have peers that are also on the spectrum. We immediately saw them, uh, really open up and, and become totally different, you know, from a social confidence perspective, just really blossom in, in such a short period of time. We really knew we were on the right track at that point. And then what we found through the years is that you know, even further, people with autism can be good at pretty much any role. There, it's such a wide spectrum of individuals that there are just so, there's gonna be a group of them that can be good at virtually anything, whether it be you know, Elon Musk, he identifies as having autism all the way to somebody who, you know, in our environment is just a killer at washing cars, doing it the same way every time, really having a great detail orientation. And it's about the way that you build the work environment. You build it in a way that it's clear that it there's a, um, it's objective, it's streamlined, it's focused on results. We give good guidance. We have managers who really care about their team care about developing people. And when people struggle, we stand right in there with them and we build solutions around their needs, specifically the ones that are struggling the most. And then you end up typically coming up with better solutions for everybody. So what were some of the unexpected strengths that you discovered? Yeah. Yeah. Um, One really interesting one is that I think we really never thought that people with autism, our employees with autism would be good at greeting customers and and doing like our basics, our sales script, uh, that, you know, those are social skills, right? So inherently a lot of people with autism struggle with neurotypical social skills, but when we started to script it and like really put a good script together, good, do good, like scenario based training, our employees with autism are the best (laughs) at it because they follow the script. They're enthusiastic about talking to customers because now they have an anchor of how to communicate with someone. Mm. And when they start to get positive feedback, they start to like feel like, wow, I can really do this. And our customers respond super well to that. They're also like, you know, a lot of people in a sales situation, they get, um, you know, disheartened when they get a no, right? Because they're being rejected by, um, by, by somebody. I find that a lot of our team members, they don't react to it the same way. It's like, okay, on to the next one. And we're just able to, to shed that, that maybe that social anxiety that, that they don't have as, as much as, or many of them don't have as much as a neurotypical person might. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was one, but there's so many, I mean, we've got team members with autism now in every role from our management positions to our maintenance positions to every role in our operations. It's been, I mean, it's, it's, it's such an underutilized workforce. There's about 80% unemployment among people with autism, but only 16% of people with autism have a significant intellectual disability. So there's a huge group of people who could be awesome employees that are just sitting on the bench right now because we don't really understand how to uh, evaluate talent effectively where you can really see their skills. Yeah. And you saw that each individual had different skills, it sounds like. So you were able to find what they're best at, which is what happens in neurotypical people too. You're going to find who's best in the in this position and play them in that position. A hundred percent. 
I mean, we, we really try to design the operations and to, so that people can be successful and more so when we, we see somebody who is having a hard time in something that that's, that is our archetype for us to de- redesign the system that they're struggling with. It's not that person that's failing the business. It's the business that's failing that person. And by taking that approach, we're able to uncover, um, opportunities to make our business better for everybody. And we, we really, we do that over and over again, day after day. And that's helped us build an organization that is fairly well run at this point and, and is really poised to be able to grow effectively because we've ironed out a lot of those details that, that generally just get swept under the rug. Interesting. So they're like the canaries in the coal mine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, they're the extreme user. So is this something you guys are looking to franchise so that other people can follow this model and, and be able to expand it so that now maybe we can take that 60 something percent of people Mm who are Mm -hmm. missing out on the workforce and, Mm -hmm. and, and get them employed across the country? Yeah. So, so franchising something that we're considering, we're considering, uh, growing our own locations, um, more across the country and, in general, like, so car washes are great, right? This model works. I always wanted a car wash. Isn't that so (laughs) random? There's one right by our house and I just dream about it. I'm like, it's such an, like an interesting model. I love like just the, I I love the drive-throughs that are just easy coin operated or credit card operated, whatever they, you know, they've now continued to expand, but just boom, go in, you wash your car, you're out. And I'll tell you a little tip. Los Angeles doesn't have a lot of drive-thrus. That's true. I, it's really hard. And we desperately need it because none of us have patience. Yeah. We don't want to go sit outside and wait for an hour for someone to wash the car. We Southern California is a market we'd love to enter for sure. Yeah. Um, Call me up. I'll help you. All right. Sounds good, Maria. Let's do it. <laughs> and by the way, you have an, you know such a community here that is so behind helping autism yeah. that um, I know all of those organizations would love to have something like this here. Yeah, for sure. That would be really awesome. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From work Working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials. It's been my go-to for so many years and having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there, this little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier 
kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. What do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, dot com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. And, and yeah, like car washes are, they're a good business that works for our employees with autism, but I think there's virtually, virtually any business this would, this would be helpful for, especially, you know, think of all the community-based businesses, you know, your dry cleaners, your delis that they, they're your hair salons that they don't have the same, they don't really have a differentiation factor beyond what their, the service that they're selling or the price that they're selling it at. And this is. You know, that, this is why we've been one of the key reasons why we've been successful is that we're able to tell a story to our customers that really matters to them. Like you're saying, there's a lot of people that would really want to, to do mm-hmm. this, want to support this. And, you know, most of the time when you talk about your car wash, it's because you're complaining about it. Um, where this is true. You know, exactly. So, so with us, you know, people actually want to talk about this because it's something that they care about. I think well, that's really important. And I bet people leave with such smiles and so happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They get they get to be in an environment where you can tell that people really want to be here, that they care, they want to help our customers. There's very little apathy in, in our employees, and I don't think you you don't, you really don't get that in a retail environment, right? So you don't it, get that anywhere. It's very <laughs> rare. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you when I was in Connecticut last summer, I happened upon a little breakfast restaurant, and it was called the Victorian. Mm. And I didn't know what, what was going on. I walked in and I was like, oh, this is interesting, sat down. And then I realized, um, and I saw the menu and it was uh, a restaurant that employed people with all kinds of different disabilities. And first of all, it was the sweetest place ever. Like what a great way to start your day. But the food was outstanding. Standing like the best food <laughs> I've ever had. So I was like, this is like, you can't beat this. You That's feel right. great. You're smiling ear to ear. The, the people from, you know, the servers to the host, everybody's happy. So you leave and you're like, I want to feel like this all the time. That's right. That's right. You get to turn these everyday experiences into an inspiring one by doing this type of thing. Yeah. So now what, um, what can people do? 
Like, what are some actionable steps for business owners who are like, okay, this sounds great, but it sounds like a lot of work. Mm -hmm. and I don't know how to do it. Yeah. And, you know, and on, obviously it's a lot easier for someone who has to figure something out, mm -hmm. right? Like I have to figure out my health. So it's a lot easier for right. me to, to focus on my health and make the sacrifices and the, you know, have the discipline to deal right. with that. Yeah. You had someone in your family, you needed to figure something out. So somebody who doesn't have any kind of health ailment, if I tell them to do all the things I'm doing, <laughs> it's going to be really hard for them because they don't have to. So anybody who's listening to this, who says, this sounds like a really cool concept. Yeah. And I would love to have more, a more diverse staff and be able to be um, inclusive and helpful and all of that. How would you help them go about this so that it is um, a little bit easier for them and not so daunting? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few things there. I mean, I think first let's, let's put away, put to the side for a second that, okay, we're going to employ people with autism, right? That can be, like you said, it can be, a, it can be a little scary for people. It can feel a little daunting. Let's, we can first look at how are you, how's your business actually operating? Are you having trouble? Like, are you hiring people that aren't typically working out for you? You're having a pretty low success rate with your, with your new hires or with your employees. If that's the case, the first thing to do is to build a more objective hiring process. One that's focused on the actual results that you need in a role that we're building, you know, work sample tests, job auditions, structured interviews, where we're asking the same questions and we're actually grading them on an objective scoring rubric. And we're doing those things to objectively identify talent because a lot of times when we're hiring, we're just kind of being our normal bias selves that we're saying, okay, that person, they're attractive. They gave me, you know, great eye contact when I met them. They gave me a good, strong handshake. And then the they rest seem of the fun. Yeah, exactly. They seem fun, but none of those things in most roles, those aren't very good, um, very good identifiers of, of someone being successful in that position. So by trying to find those more objective ways of, of identifying talent, then it's a lot easier to be inclusive. And a lot of times, you know, someone who's neurodivergent or someone who may come from a background that you didn't expect might wow you and you might be able to say, okay, this person, I believe can actually do this because I'm objectively looking at the role. The other thing is do the people in your organization, do they understand what their objectives are in their position, right? Have we structured the work to be clear and based on results where a lot of organizations, I think it's over 50% of people struggle with ambiguity in their roles. So they don't know what they're supposed to do. And people with autism are going to struggle mightily there, but nobody brings their best selves to work when they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They end up spending time doing things that aren't really effective or just simply stressing out. That's such a great point yeah. because I sit here and I'm like, oh, well, then I have to do all the work to like really like lay it out. <laughs> But yep. guess what? You got to lay it out for everybody or else you're going to have a mediocre result at best, probably. That's right. That's that's exactly right. And one of the cool things. It makes things, you better. Holy yep. moly. This is it, so cool. It makes you better. It makes the whole organization run better. And if you're ready to take that step to try to think about actually employing people with autism, 
then design it as a, as a test, right? Design it as a training program. That's typically what we recommend. So, okay, I've got this role that's difficult for me to fill. Let me build a, a training program around how to do this role. Let's invite some people in to do that training program. And that will help you structure it really well. So by going through that process, you're going to learn how to structure it. You're going to learn, well, what is the pass fail for this training program? So what are the actual measures that matter? And then you invite some people, you know, with autism or, or neurodivergencies in and you let them go through the training program. Worst case scenario, okay, you did the training program. It didn't work out. There's an, there's a, an easy way to move on or more likely you'll find, wow, that person did awesome. I definitely want them on my team. And that's so that's a good way to, to look at it like a training program as a prototype for an autism employment program within an existing organization and keying in on the roles that are the hardest for you to fill because that's typically where the most value is going to come from. That's so cool. I think, yeah, I've learned over the years um, that, and I started, I mean, you went to business school, so you probably learned a lot of this in there. I started creating my own, you know, checklists and scorecards and things. So when I was interviewing people, I wasn't just remembering the person that I had a, a social connection with or, you know, was super personable because you like, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and like sometimes isn't what you need. You need maybe that person who can do the solo kind of job and isn't somebody who needs all this attention and mm -hmm. human connection mm -hmm. or whatever, like every job is different, but you have to look at it like that. Um, yeah. But I also love the idea of having to lay it all out really clearly um, because for any kind of employee, that's going to be important. Yeah. So much of it is context, right? Like we, we look at somebody who's struggling and it's easy to just to um, attribute that to, to their own skill set when more than more often than not, it's not a limitation in their ability, but it's the way that you're communicating the role or, or the task to that person. It's, it's something that I think we really discount a lot because it's easier to just to blame the person instead of saying, taking a step back, being curious, trying to talk to them of why are you struggling? What's, what's the matter here? And then fixing those actual pr problems, those roadblocks that they're running up against. That not only can help your business be a lot better, but it, it makes you as a leader be perceived as someone who actually really cares about their people, who really cares about getting it right. I mean, it's so awesome that you went and you actually built these checklists and the, these, these actual questions and these scorecards. Very few people do that. Very <laughs> I was very frustrated, Tom. Yeah. I was getting it all yeah. wrong. I was like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> but, but how often do you go through that, right? And you, you're going through your checklist, you're going through your scorecard and your first initial reaction to the person changes in that interview. It's got to be half the time for me mm -hmm. where like my first reaction to the person is like, oh, this person's awesome. It's like, well, ah, I don't know. Look, or red flag. They just said something. You exactly. got to write it down or remember later because you romanticize everybody after. Exactly. And then when you're desperate to fill the position, you romanticize even more. It's even worse. And you end up with and then you end up with people in the organization that weren't a fit ever. And those are generally the ones that stick around <laughs> longer. And now you have to figure out what to do with them. Oh, and they're very hard to get rid of. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right.
As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. So I, in, in full transparency, just got this book right when I, um, sat down to do this. So um, I'm very excited to read it, but you have a chapter here about accountability is a tool for growth. Yeah. Can you expand on that for everybody? Because Kelsey's got it all marked up because she got it and she got to read it, but um, I didn't get it in time, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I think the accountability chapter is such a cool one because so often we look at accountability as this like stick that we hit people over the head with. And a lot of times you you get a little, you know, when, when new managers or, or folks start to try to hold people accountable, it gets perceived that way where it's, it's unfair. And, you know, we're holding people accountable just to pass the blame off to them. And that, that's not necessarily a good thing. But when you do the work that we talk about in this book, which is, so first we hire people that have personal responsibility then we are really clear about the expectations. We give them good training and good tools for them to be able to effectively do their jobs. And we build managers in a culture that is committed to helping people grow. So when people do fail, it's looked at as a learning experience instead of it being looked at as an opportunity to blame. Now we can use accountability as the ultimate tool for growth because we all need someone to hold us to a higher standard, right? We all can get lazy or we can get, um, you know, our lives can, can, can make us lose sight of what's important. And we can use accountability to bring us back to center and to push us to take those next steps to stretch. And that happens a lot in our organization because we're able because people know that, that we care about them and they care about their jobs. So people want to stretch and that becomes, and it's something for me as a leader, sometimes that I lose sight of too, because like I, I end up loving my people so much and, and believing in them so much that, that sometimes it's like, oh, well, that's okay. They'll get it next time. And that's, I'm, that's me doing a disservice to that person. I have to constantly remind myself that being that like easy, easygoing boss mm -hmm. isn't actually helping them. It's helping yep. them when you push them, right? When you say, I believe in you, I know you can do better. This is what, this is the goal. Let's get, let's figure out how to meet that goal together. Yeah. I love that. We do that all the time here. I'm always like, I could say nothing, but that's not how you're going to get better. That's not how you're going to grow. And I am a poor leader. If I don't stop you and tell you that this isn't the, the way to do this, or this isn't the, the best approach or something. Um, I, first of all, you, you just rattled off so many things that you guys do that just, 
is so impressive to me. And I want you to kind of go back and go into all the responsibilities, the clear expectations, yeah. all of that, because I think that for all of us who are running anything, it's really important to know all of those steps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll give, I'll tell a story about our early experience with the car wash. So we opened our first store. We had run a training program, like I said, to test the concept before then. But at this point, I knew nothing about actually running a car wash. I couldn't, I was the guy who couldn't even hold a pair of pliers, went to the car wash only when somebody wrote wash me on the back of my car. So it was. But I have to yeah. interrupt you only because I also love that someone let you go in and work in their business. Yeah. Knowing you were trying to build that business. I think that a lot of us think we have to do it on our own and we have to figure it out on our own. Um, but even that is a lesson in, in itself. Yeah. Filling those knowledge gaps, right? Nobody goes into a new business knowing everything about their business. And if you're, especially if you're doing it with, with a mission and there's a higher purpose to it, people will help you. Mm. Paul Fazio, the, the, the gentleman who I, I mentioned earlier, who's the owner of Sonny's Enterprises, who owned this car wash. This guy, probably the most successful person in the industry. He, he, you know, he built Sonny's from, I think when he took it over from his dad, it was a $5 million a year business. It's well into the hundreds of millions now. And he, he built a bunch of his own car washes. He sold those so he could focus on the manufacturing. But this guy took a meeting with me and my dad, who were just some you know, chumps off the street pretty much hmm. like, oh, big deal. Like they want to open a car wash. Lots of people want to do that. You want to employ people with autism? He thought we were nuts, but he was willing to listen. And when he saw that what we were trying to do was legit, like we were really trying to do this for the right reasons, he opened up his whole organization to us. They have a training program called Car Wash College. We went through all that stuff. That was- There's a Car Wash College? <laughs> There's a Car Wash College, yo. Goodness. Yeah, that's right. So we, we got to go through all of that. We got to um, use his store. He put he invested money into that location so we could test our interior cleaning processes there. Like he opened so many doors for us. And that happened a bunch of times. Dr. Michael Alessandria at University of Miami, he helped us recruit our first employees with autism where we had no credibility in the community. People thought we were nuts. And he is one of the most well-respected people in the autism community in Florida. And so he's was willing to lend himself, lend his staff to help us find those first people to train and to prove that this works with. You definitely don't have to do it alone. And, and in fact, that's what, whenever we talk to new entrepreneurs or people that want to do this, that's, I think, one of the most important things. Ask for help. Tell people you don't know what you're, you're doing in certain areas, and they will help you find people who do. It's so important. I love that. That is a, a quotable moment for the show. Kelsey, I'm going to go to you because you did get to see this, uh, read this. So tell me, you know, jump in on, on any questions with Tom that you want to ask. Yeah, Tom, you kind of, I mean, you set me up well, because the one question I was thinking was for someone looking to start a business or someone who maybe they've just started it, you talk so much about like throwing out conventional thinking and bringing in the unconventional. Mm -hmm. So what are some other ways that people can throw out that conventional thinking, thinking, um, yeah, to really succeed? Yeah. I, I think that for, for, for new founders that are, that are bring on their first employees, uh, all the way to seasoned, uh, managers, one of the key learnings that, that we have is not to fire your worst employees. So the people who are constantly failing, that you're, you're constantly 
seeing that there's there's there there a point of stress, point of friction in the organization. People are like, oh, Jimmy messed up again, and and there's like that eye roll, and you're just blaming Jimmy for for all these mistakes. That instead of just being like, get out of here, Jimmy. That sitting sitting with him, standing there shoulder to shoulder with that person to look at the business through their eyes. That is such a point of innovation for an organization, for us particularly, but that that different perspective on your business can really transform the way you operate. In fact, Google talks talks about this too, where that bottom 25% of their performers, they work with them just as much for learning as they do their top performers. Because when you get those bottom 25% to move closer to the middle, you're bringing the whole organization forward. And, and I think that that's something that most of us don't do. And man, it has transformed the way that we operate. Wow. That's so smart. We, we do that too in a different way. It's funny. I, I like hearing how you kind of put it and you have such a structure to it. We're just kind of like gut people, but I'll always say if things aren't working or we want to go to the next level and we're not like, let's do an audit. Let's all mm -hmm. sit down and look at what we're all doing. Let's see what, you know, is working. What's not, what's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Let me see how you're doing things and, and watch you kind of, you know, in your element mm -hmm. because yeah. you might be able to pick up things that they're not picking up because they're them, right? I'm not going to pick up the things that I'm doing. Someone has to look at me and say, I see that you're on the phone a lot <laughs> and maybe you should not be on Facebook all day and maybe you'd be more productive. Um, maybe calling your mom 50 times a day isn't going to help the business. I'm joking, but, but um, those are my lame examples. But yeah, I think, uh, I think that is really important. Where I also wanted to say too, when I was reading it, something else that you guys do, and Tom, this would be interesting for you to talk about as well. I literally wrote it in there talking about you and Kev always say like hire for heart, train for skill. Mm -hmm. And I like Tom basically said that I literally wrote it and there was like, oh my God, Kevin, Maria always talk about this. And I think that that is so important. And I think that that's probably helped Kev, you and Maria, I mean, Maria, you and Kev with your business. But Tom, I would love you to talk more about that too. Yeah. Just like that idea. I think that's such an important point. So for, for most roles, it is way more effective to hire for the underlying uh, character skills and character strengths than it is to hire for the functional skill. Um, most organizations, you know, it, if they focus on building some good training out, we can teach all of those functional skills. But we want to build a culture. We want people that that share our values. And that's how you I think you really build an organization effectively. It also, Maria, you talked before about like pulling your hair out and getting like frustrated with hires. When we hire for, for technical skill, we are setting ourselves up for that so much. And it's also because there's a much more um, thin group of people that have all the skills or at least have most of the skills that you're looking for in a role where if we can hire for um for these character strengths and we can build our organizations to teach those skills we have a much broader group of people and it's it's really been important for us because you know for a while we always were able to find um great talent with autism but that's 80 percent of our staff for the 20 percent of our staff that's neurotypical i 
we failed over and over and over and over again. In the 20%? Yeah, and over, <laughs> oh, yeah, like turned that whole, that 20% segment of our staff, we turned over like a dozen times in the first couple of years. And, and that was because I was like, okay, I want someone with a special education background. I want someone with a car wash background. I want someone with a military background. Like what, whatever I'm thinking background wise is important. And when I finally stopped doing that and saying, no, I don't care where you came from. I care that you have grit, that you have a growth mindset, that you're willing to be authentic and honest in this interview. You're willing to be open to taking feedback and to be coachable, that you want to coach other people. Mm. And by taking those things and by building an interview process that susses those things out. I mean, now we have people from, you know, high, current, you know, 15 year old high school students that have some of these skills amazingly be the next presidents of the country, all the way to people who have been working in fast food for the last 15 years, but, but they never got a chance to actually cultivate these things, but they, they believe in them. So like this very group of people that have very divergent life experiences, they come together here and they actually share a lot of the same values. They become really close friends, but they would have never interacted outside of this place. So how do you... First of all, how do you reconcile what we talked about earlier, which is you can't just go for people you like, you've got to hire the people that have the skill with the train for heart, you know, yeah. train, uh, hire for heart, train for skill thing. Cause it's like, we're kind of saying both things and well, I know an audience is going to get a little confused. Cause it's like, okay, so what do I do? Am I hiring for heart and then training for <laughs> skill? Or am I hiring people who have the skill? It's, it's a good, it's a good point. And I could absolutely see why, it, why it looks that way. But when we're, when we're talking about the hiring for heart, don't get that confused with your gut reaction to a person because they're the, the, what we're talking about are these fundamental like root skills, the way that we learn, the way that we per perceive failure, the way that we interact in a conflict situation, the way that we're willing to speak up when things get difficult. These, You're talking these, about all my questions and my chart. Yeah, exactly. Those are hey, that's good. That means you got a good one. Oh yeah. Um, I worked really freaking hard on this yeah, one. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you learn those things through blood, sweat, and tears a lot of times, right? Yeah. Now I'm good. I don't really use it as much because unless it's like I'm nervous that I I didn't ask the, ask the right questions. Yeah. But you you have to figure out how people are going to handle conflict, like when things go wrong. How do you react? And right. yeah, all of that. Right. And and but what's interesting is that if you if you go into say, okay, I'm like you're saying, I'm hiring for heart, but I don't have that checklist and I'm not thinking about critically what that means, it very quickly descends into the airport test, which is would I like to be stuck at the airport with this person for the next three hours? And that is very quickly is, is this person like me? Did they go to the same type of school? Did they have the same type of life experience? Did they have the same sense of humor that I have? Those aren't getting deep enough into the actual skills that you're looking for, these actual underlying thought processes, that's the difference between saying, okay, well, if I like the person, that means they have the character skills that I want versus if I ask these particular questions and they give these particular answers, I know, or at least have a very high degree of confidence that they are the type of person that will respond well in this work environment, in this role. So how do you find people to, that have the same values and yeah. kind of core beliefs. What do you guys do for that? What's your process? To find them? I, so 
Or when you're interviewing them, what are you yeah. looking for? Yeah. So, so um, when we're interviewing them, we are so like some of the first questions that we'll ask is, you know, tell, tell me about a time that you failed and what you learned from it. Right. And, and that's, that can be a telling question or. Especially if, if they don't have an answer because they've never failed. Yeah. I mean, and people say that, right. People, people, <laughs> people will start like, oh, you know, I don't really look at it. I don't really think I've had a lot of failures. Like mm, you definitely have, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we all have, I've had plenty. And, but, but people also like, they don't feel a, a lot of times that's not feeling comfortable enough with who they are. To be honest. It, exactly. And that that's a whole different thing, right? So when they run up into failure in your work environment, which they are inevitably going to, they may respond defensively instead of with, okay, I messed up there. How do I do better? Which is what we all want to see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we may They may also get defensive and blame other people. And if you put them in, you hired them for a management position, that can be really tricky, right? You don't want managers who are going to start blaming their staff or external circumstances for why they aren't doing so well. And so that's, that's a big one asking about, you know, how do you give feedback to another person that that can be really good too. Sometimes people will show you that they're not really comfortable being direct. Right. And that's so important. Like, like we were talking about before, right. Being a good leader means I'm willing to be direct with you about where we came up short so you can improve. That's, uh, you know, Kim Scott calls that radical candor. And it's so important. I mean, it's such an important thing. And, mm-hmm. and so I like, ask those questions, a lot of, um, you know, scenario-based questions too, where if somebody doesn't have a lot of life experience or hasn't been in a leadership role, asking questions like, if this happened, if, if um, a team member was falling behind and constantly moving slower than the rest of the team, how would you handle that situation? Versus tell me about a time where you had to give difficult feedback. We might ask both of those. But you're giving people space at that point who haven't necessarily been in a leadership role to answer those questions. And it, it kind of broadens the pool a little bit there, too, by, by, by changing the way we ask them. So cool. I love this. I love this for the Heel Squad, who's, who's going to take all of these little interview tips and, awesome. and run with it. It makes me think, Kels, that we should do one of our events where I, I share my, my checklist and questionnaires with everybody because... Um, it is really helpful to remember, especially when you have to interview multiple people for something yeah. like more than three people, you're never going to remember yep. anything. Um, yep. I am so impressed with what you guys have done. I think it's so amazing. And, um, I just, I know you guys have been highlighted by so many. I saw your pieces on nightly news with Lester Holt. I used to work for nightly news awesome. years ago. Uh, so that was beautiful. And they did a follow-up too. So there were yeah. two stories there. Um, what you guys are doing is incredible and you're really setting an example for so many people to be able to follow. And I think this is great work. Um, if we can be helpful in any way, obviously, especially in the LA area, I'd invest in that in two seconds. Awesome. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like I said, South, uh, Southern California is a place we'd love to be. Yeah. Well, we are here anytime. Um, and, uh, and thank you for what you guys are doing. It's really cool. Awesome, Maria. It was a pleasure to speak with you. I'm so excited to get this type of uh, information, these stories out to the Heel Squad. Yeah, and congrats on the book. Oh, yeah. I didn't get to ask you. So who designed the cover? Um, So HarperCollins designed the cover. Um, They did. Yeah, and they did. I I, I love that cover. They did an awesome job. They really did. Um, I love, love, love it. I did my first book with them, but I designed my cover. (laughs) So a little bit. I'm sure it came out awesome. 
Yeah, I can't. It was good. I can't draw. I have no design chops at all. <laughs> uh, well, congrats again, guys. The book is called The Power of Potential. And we will put a link of that in the summary of this episode. Uh, Tom, thanks so much. Thank you, Maria. All right, friends, that does it for us today. I hope uh, that inspired you. I hope it helped you. Uh, if it did, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts uh, or Spotify or wherever you listen to it. Just click the link below in the summary and it will take you right to it. Also, we have our merch, our Heel Squad merch up on mariamenunos.com. Don't forget to buy yourself a, a Heel Squad mug. Pretty cool. I love it because I look at it as my way to kind of remember that I'm on this healing journey and healing from everything and anything. Uh, in the meantime, be nice people, make good choices and be present. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much and we love doing this thing called life with you.